Ladies and gentlemen, EUG Promotions is coming up, and we have interviewed Shane Jamil Taylor, and now we are here with Andy Murasaki. You can use our discount code, uh, uh, OpenGuardCast25. Go to Electra Performance. You will get, I mean, I've seen Andy Murasaki here, and I'll introduce him in a second, but I've been watching Andy Murasaki since he was juvenile blue belt, and now that man is a man, and he uh, could snap <laughs> me in half with his bare hands. Why? Because he takes proper care of his strength and conditioning. And you can do the same thing. Use our discount code, 25% off at Electrum Performance. I am joined. My name is Jake Watson. I'm joined by Danny O'Donnell and Andy Murasaki making his black belt debut at EUG Promotions on April 3rd. Andy, how are you on this fine Sunday? Man, I woke up maybe two hours ago. I'm st- I'm still having a green tea here just to wake up and you know, have some caffeine in my body. But I think... Through the the conversation, I'll be awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, I uh, I woke up uh, 30 minutes ago, so we're in the same boat, but don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we want to start out talking about EUG promotions. We definitely want to get into your background in jiu-jitsu and stuff like that too. But what do you think? So you're a new black belt. You got your black belt after the PANS 2020, um, which was in October, I believe. So obviously, yeah, I, I got I got my black belt end of December. Actually. End of December. Okay. Yeah, they waited until end of December. <laughs> yeah, they waited. They waited. They didn't have to, but after that performance, everyone kind of knew it was coming. But yeah. But now you're jumping into this insane bracket at UG Promotions. Like it's pretty much the best featherweight and lightweight group. It's under 160 pounds. So, what do you think about jumping into such a stacked bracket for your black debut? Man, I think honestly, uh, I'm very excited. I don't feel scared or anything. I, I actually. I'm very pumped to be in, in such a good bracket, you know, like with like very known names in our sport. We all know everyone there. We have like two world champions, I believe, in the black belt division. And I think it will be a good start for me to see where where my level is at the black belt, you know, because the color belts, we all know that. I know nowadays color belts, like we have really good brown belts, you know, that that could do really good at black belt if they had a black belt on their waist. But I know that black belt is a different level, you know. Uh, a lot like you're going to face people that has been there for like years. They have a lot of experience, you know. So I don't know. I'm just very excited to to compete with those guys and see where my I'm at, you know. But I feel really confident, honestly. I thought... I've fought Jonathan Alves before when we were like blue belts, I think, purple belts, anything. And you know, I've been watching those guys, these guys, since I'm like purple belt. Like some of them were black belt already, competing worlds, winning worlds. So I feel like I know their game pretty well, you know. And I'm very like excited. Maybe one thing that I, maybe they have experience in advantage, you know, because they've been the black belt for longer than me but maybe i have more will you know i'm coming you know i want more maybe mm-hmm. just yeah ex- for sure yeah. yeah i was gonna ask you because you said you've been watching some of these guys they've been black belts since you some of them probably since you've been blue and purple exactly. so what are there any guys in particular in the bracket that you came up watching you were a fan of maybe just like like their game or like their jiu-jitsu and you were watching them while you were coming up through the belts man mars andre Nice. Yeah, that's my coach. <laughs> my first tournament as juvenile, like international-wise, it was 2016, my first year as juvenile blue belt. 
And my first tournament ever, like big tournament, was European. And that European, I believe 2016, he won the featherweight like division, beating like Paul Miao and stuff. And I, I've followed him since I'm like 14, you know. Now today I'm like 20, 21, almost 21. And I've I've always been a huge fan of his his game, his passing style, you know, like I I've always looked up for him like yeah, at featherweight division, he's he's one of the few that actually passes guard. And he does really well. And I've I've always watched him, follow him, you know, being a huge fan of his game. So he's one of the person of the bracket that I've looked up, you know. And since I'm juvenile blue belt. So I'm yeah. pretty excited. That's crazy, yeah. So, so another question I wanted to ask you. So, if you had to take yourself out of the bracket and you're just looking at the other the, the other seven names, are there any matchups in particular between the other seven guys that you think would be really cool? Between the guys or with me? Yeah, with without you. If you took yourself out, are there any of those guys that you want would want to see fight? Just as a fan. Man, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard it's, question. Yeah, it's very hard because there's so many good matchups. As a fan, <laughs> as a, as a fan, because we've seen Marcel and Mateus, Marcel and and Jamil, I believe, but a match that we've never seen, I think, is Jamil and Isaac. Yeah, mm. I think no. they fought one time before. Jamil was saying, oh, but really? uh, yeah, I'm, I think it was just. Did oh. he say that, Jake? I believe he did. Uh, maybe I'm gonna check right now. Yeah, I could be wrong. Jake will look it up and fact check me. <laughs> Jamie, yeah. could you look that up? <laughs> I think Jamil and Isaac or Mateus and Isaac, you know. Yeah, like yeah, match it haven't seen yet. That would be for sure. Cool. That's awesome. So is there is there a matchup that, that you want to get in there? I know you mentioned you, you liked watching Marcio, but are mm-hmm. there are there uh competitors in that bracket that when you saw their names you're like, Man, that would be a fun matchup with, with him? Yeah, uh, I was thinking maybe, you know, Marcio Andrea for sure would be an honor for me to fight against him. You know, I've always been following him, so that would be a good one. Jonathan Alves would be a good one. Uh, he just won Pan Ams, so at Black Belt Division Lightweight, the division mm-hmm. I'm going to compete at. So it would be really cool to, you know, get a first, second round with him or you know, just be able to compete against him. Uh, that would be a good opportunity for me. I think Mateus Gabriel, Jamil, you know, all of those guys, Isaac. I I, I would want to compete against maybe the lightweights that are cutting to feather. You know, mm-hmm. that's the division I'm gonna be competing at lightweight. So just having the opportunity to feel those guys, that would be great for me if possible. But I don't know how it's going to be the bracket. It's just you pick the number and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think really that's cool. a really interesting thing too. Dan, like like when Hector told us that, because you have to be ready to fight all these guys. It's not for like sure. you know who you're going to fight. You could get the the world champion first round, you know, who knows. And uh, by the way. If I could choose, probably Jonathan Alves, Marcendra. Okay. Jeff- okay. For sure. Uh, we, like, we like that you that you have like your your first choice in mind. I like that a lot. Um, just going back to what we said earlier, Danny. Uh, Jamil did beat Isaac Doderlane. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Pan Ams. But, uh, yes, Pan Ams semifinal. Okay. <clears throat> but interestingly enough, you're the only one. You like you are the 
coming in from brown belt like you are mm-hmm. making your black belt debut i think you have an interesting dark horse position um i mean i we i don't think you're a dark horse i think that you're definitely uh capable of winning the bracket it would be it would be unintelligent i think to count anybody in this division out uh that's i mean looking at it you can't really uh say that there's one guy that's like astronomically better than the other so it's mm-hmm. really it's a really crazy crazy bracket man yeah it is like i think it's whoever wins that of course i want to win but whoever wins that bracket it's a very well earned 10k you know 100 <laughs> percent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should yeah. have started gofundme and have people donate to a bigger purse because they deserve more money for beating all those guys <laughs> yeah, honestly. yeah I, I think they should pay us 20k you know yeah <laughs> yeah this is like a spider korea event like this is what i think a spider korea event would look like i'm like dang dude this is like a hundred thousand dollars you beat this for sure. <laughs> That's funny. So, so you mentioned too that some of these guys are, are featherweights, and this is at 160. You compete at lightweight normally. Is is 160 a, a difficult weight for you, or is it going to be pretty easy for you to make that? Um, it's not definitely not going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm walking around 178, 180. Mm-hmm. We have six weeks to go. I, I've started uh, cutting weight already, but definitely it's not going to be easy, you know. Yeah, I think the cool thing is that it's a day before weigh-in without the gi, so hopefully that makes it a little bit easier. Oh, a little bit. bit. It's a lot easier. (laughs) You know, you get to get Evans all bath before an IBJJF tournament. Honestly, it's like making lightweight because to make lightweight in the gi, it's 168. So let's say you have a light gi, you need to be at least 165, you know. Mm -hmm. So if I can drop to 165, a day before weigh-in, you can just, you know, do bath or sauna five pounds it's not gonna be hard you know so honestly just making a lightweight but then you gotta swell like five pounds you know mm-hmm. yeah for sure but, when uh here's a question when so making lightweight because you carry around a little bit of a heavier frame being mm-hmm. 180 um when you compete like let's say you do pan ams where you would cut for lightweight if there's mm-hmm. a tournament like right after pan ams you want to do are you going to be more like i'm going to compete middleweight so that i don't have to cut my body down over and over <laughs> and over again it depends on which tournament we're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's for sure. Out, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I could do middleweight, but if it's a good opportunity that you know they it just appeared for me, but it's a lightweight, then I will just keep my weight low, you know, and compete at lightweight, just making the row. But for me, it would be very difficult. Let's say to fight four weekends in a row, you know, or four times in a month. At lightweight that would be very difficult for me you know like yeah. it's hard to maintain that weight for a long time competing it's very uh, damaging for your body you know mm-hmm. it's not at least in my for, for myself it's not very healthy to stay at like 160 165 you know it's yeah. really difficult to maintain that weight yeah, yeah definitely so jake i I think this is a good segue to kind of talk about some other topics outside of EUG. Is that okay with you? Or did you yeah, totally. Other? No, I don't have any. Okay. I don't have any other questions about EUG. I'm just really excited to see you compete. Um, uh, definitely going to be interesting to see how the weigh-ins pan out uh, because the weigh-ins you pick a number and you find out who you fight. Yeah. So we'll see if you get your wish. If you get your Jonathan Alves or Marcio Andre wish. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. Would be- <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. So, so you talked about, uh, we talked a little bit about like your weight class and co- coming down mm-hmm. to 160 and I feel like you've 
you're one of the athletes who really like emphasizes strength and conditioning, at least for like what you put out on social media. Mm-hmm. So like at what point in your career did you really start investing in your strength training? Because people can definitely see that you've put time into it and it's like really paying off and it really helps your, your style and your jujitsu. For sure. So I've always been a very active kid, you know, since when I started training jiu-jitsu, I was probably nine years old. But I've, I started training jiu-jitsu. I used to play soccer already and also swimming. I used to swim. So I've always been very active, you know. And my dad, he, he, he's always been lifting weights, my dad, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I was maybe 13, 14, he kind of forced me to lift weights, you know. <laughs> I remember at the beginning I didn't like. I, I felt very shy. I was very skinny. And, you know, I used to go with him and he had just strong guys working out with him and I was in the middle, you know. I remember the first time I tried bench press, I tried with just the bar and I couldn't, like, balance the bar, you know, just the bar. So I, I felt very, like, shy and I didn't, I didn't like lifting weights, but I kept lifting. So I've always been lifting weights and stuff since I'm, like, 14 years old, you know. And I would say, yeah, I've always been lifting weights. Like, I like, you know, it's not something I do because, oh, it helps my jiu-jitsu. No, it's because I really like lifting weights. Mm-hmm. And I feel really good when I don't train jiu-jitsu and I go lift the weights. You have more energy. It, man, it feels amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's completely different when you don't have all the the stress from jiu-jitsu on your body. <laughs> exactly. And it helps a lot, you know, in, in your performance on the mats. Like, helps preventing injuries, which is yeah. the most important, I believe, you know. Because if you get injured... You stay one month, two months out of training. That's a month, two months that you lost opportunity to progress, you not know, to improve. So I think that helps a lot. And I started taking way more serious about strength and conditioning when the pandemic came last year, March, when I went back to Japan. Like I didn't, I couldn't train much. Maybe four times a week, five times at the most. We're here. In a week, I train 10 times, jiu-jitsu only. Talking about jiu-jitsu, 10 times, you know, twice a day, five times a day, five times a week. And when I was in Japan, I didn't have that much training, so I was like, I'll focus on my on my conditioning, you know. That's when I, I hired, a, I talked to strength, strength coach, Vitor Capial, and then we started working together since last year, April. And since that, I've, I've noticed a great, like, improvement in my performance like strength wise conditioning you know everything yeah for sure so obviously you talked about like how much jujitsu you train 10 sessions a week that's a lot so do you have any advice for people who want to add strength and conditioning to their routine but maybe they feel like too burnt out from jujitsu they just don't know how to add it in appropriately mm-hmm. it, it really depends what's your goal you know and also how much time you have to yeah. actually to actually work, you know, like if you like, I, I live off this, you know, so that's all I do, jiu-jitsu. I can train twice a day and lift weight once, you know, if I want to, if I can, you know. But you gotta be very smart with your time time managing, you know. If you mm-hmm. only have, if let's say I can only train once a day, I will train jiu-jitsu, you know, like strength will not, like working out will not help your jiu-jitsu. It's gonna make you stronger, and you know if with time and prevent injuries. But it's not gonna give you knowledge. So if you only have time to work once a day, 
I would say train jiu-jitsu. But if you can do twice, maybe you can add strength and conditioning, you know. But nowadays, I when I'm training jiu-jitsu, like here in San Diego, which is very intense, twice a day, I only lift weights three times a week for the most, you know. Mm. Otherwise, your body can't recover, and it's too much. Here's my question. Uh, mm. lifting, lifting three to four times a week, Training mm-hmm. intensely twice a day, and I and I'm I'm sure you probably regulate like man, okay, it's Thursday, I cannot mm-hmm. physically do much more. I have to take care of my body. What does your mm-hmm. diet look like when you're not cutting weight for lightweight? Like what is the, what does that diet look like? Because I mean, you got to eat a lot of food to keep your body yeah. even able eating to lift like that. Yeah, eating a lot. Like I try to eat clean. You know, it helps because I know that if I eat bad like bad stuff. It will affect my performance. But at the same time, sometimes, you know, you just can't eat your food. That mm. time, you know, eating something that contains more sugar, like dessert and whatever, it helps a lot because it's carbs, you know. Sugar mm. is just energy. If you use it, it doesn't matter. You know, so I try to eat very clean, but having mind calories, you know, like if if I to train tri- three times a day, to train three times a day, you need to eat. Mm. Otherwise... You can't, you know, your performance will just go down, down, and down. <clears throat> so you got to pay attention to that. You know, some people train three times a day, and they just feel like through the week their performance just decreasing. That's not good, you know. You need to know how to manage. If it's decreasing, maybe you need to eat more. Maybe you need to rest more. You know, maybe the volume is too high for you, you know. Maybe you're just starting, and your body is not used to that kind of volume of training. So you just need to low a little bit and see, you know, your progress. Okay. Uh, so you said sometimes you got to eat some sugar, sometimes you got to eat some dessert, and you almost had a little bit of a smile on your face. So I'm thinking, <laughs> hmm, this guy's got a vice for sure. This guy has something that he is that he is consistently like, you know what, that's my thing. For me, if I could eat something like every night, which I'm going to now because I got the approval from Andy Murasaki. And Alex Sterner. He said the same and thing. And Alex Sterner. He said the same thing. I would like to eat cheesecake. Cheesecake is where it's at. What is yours? Man. Like, I like cheesecake, you know, but it's very high in fat. Yeah, uh, true. So, uh, I try to avoid, like, when I say desserts, I try to avoid things that are very high in fat. I I try to, to give priority, how do you say? Priority. Priority, yes, to desserts that is very low in fat, but high sugar, high, high carbs, you know. Mm-hmm. So, acai, you know, um ice creams with low fat you know like there's so many like fit like fit ice cream that they're very low fat compared to the normal ones mm-hmm. you know and uh, sometimes chocolates with low fat you know like i try to just look for the fats and avoid the fats but having high carbs instead you know like sugar and stuff that's really I interesting i like that it, i like that approach yeah because fat you know it's just fat and it's very easy to get to be starved as a fat in your body but mm. carbs, training it that much, like twice a day and lifting weights, it's like it's going to be a fuel for energy. You know? Like you're going to use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. yeah. I try to be smart with my choices when I when I eat like junk food. I try to be smart, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I when I cheat, I don't try to be smart. I kind of throw my brain out the window. <laughs> yeah. If it's a cheat day after a tournament, like I shouldn't do it. It's really not. It's not good to do. But I definitely my brain kind of just shuts off and I. 
I'll be sitting in my bed, my hotel room, two hours later after the tournament, wondering what happened. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, I try to be smart. I like a lot of fruits, you know, so eating a lot of fruits, a lot, a lot of fruits. <laughs> I really love it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So I kind of wanted to uh, pivot a little bit and talk about like you're starting jujitsu because you mentioned that like when you were talking about lifting weights that you came up under your dad and my understanding is that your dad trained jujitsu too. Is that right? He's a black belt nowadays. He's a black belt. So you want to talk about what it was like when you first started training and then maybe when you first started getting into competitions. Mm -hmm, For sure. So I started training when I was probably nine years old, I think. I believe in 2009. Uh, by influence of my dad, you know, he, I think back in the time he was a purple belt already. And he used to teach jiu-jitsu with, he would like bring friends and just teach jiu-jitsu there, you know, with their friends. And he's a purple belt. So, but before I actually start training, I would just go and watch. You know, he would just bring me and my brother there and we were just sitting the outside watching him training, you know. But then one day, I don't know. I just tried to like replicate whatever move they were doing with my brother on the outside. You know, mm-hmm. that's how we started training jits. And then when when I realized I was I had a gear ready, I was I was training jits there. And my first competition was maybe with two months of training. You know? Oh wow! And when I say training, it was like once a week, every Saturday <laughs> only. You know, it wasn't like nowadays you go to autos, they have kids class twice a day, Monday to Friday. You know? <laughs> yeah. Dang. I didn't have that. I had on Saturday morning. That's it. And I had a couple of trainings and then I went for a competition. I had one match and I lost. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how everything started. You know? Since then, I, I really like it. Like Because I lost the match, I was like, man, I need to train more to improve. You know, and then I started training more. Sure, that's how yeah. I started pretty much. That's awesome. But when when it got serious, I believe it was 2015, 2016, when I first started winning, like competing juvenile, like international tournament, mm-hmm. and actually winning those tournaments. So I was like, man, wait a second, I think I have a chance to live off this, you know, like, because one thing is competing in Japan and winning everything in Japan, you know, local tournaments. Com- like, I was a kid, like 14, 15, competing in the adult division, blue belt. Uh, white belt the division and winning everything submitting ev- everyone but that's in japan local tournaments that's one thing winning everything there i always had a, like a doubt in my mind how would i do on the outside you know, in brazil in america europe you know mm-hmm. talk about world level so i always have that doubt and then when i first competed like europeans 2016 and i was able to win double gold you know being the lightest guy in the, in the open class division, I was like, man, I, I think I have a chance, you know, to leave off this. I think I have not talent, but I have what it requires to leave off this, you know? Yeah. So yeah. You have the work ethic and everything. Exactly. huh? So that's when I realized, no, I'm not just a local level in Japan, but I think I can be a really good, you know, like elite guy in Jiu-Jitsu. That's when everything started like come becoming more serious for me. 
Yeah, for sure. I re- that was a question I was going to ask you too about like when you decided to become a professional. But I kind of want to go back and talk about some of the competitions in Japan because I know, like like you mentioned, you started competing there and that's where you started training. But I know you spent time in Brazil too and obviously came to the U.S. at some point. So like, mm-hmm. what was it like going back and forth? Like, was was it difficult to go f- and leave your comfort zone in Japan to go train and compete in Brazil? Did you notice like a big change in the levels of the competitors? Yeah. I only I went to Brazil like back and forth many times, but I actually only trained Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil once. Like not once, but the one time I went to Brazil, then I trained there. I think I was like 12 years old, 11 years old, mm-hmm. and then I stayed there for three months in Brazil, in south of Brazil, Santa Catarina, and I trained there. And the level was pretty high, you know, but I didn't I didn't do I didn't train much in Brazil, so I can't say you know. I lived more of my life, like more than half of my life, I lived in Japan. Like in Brazil, I would go just to visit visit families and stuff and then go back to Japan. So I can't really say how's the level in Brazil, you know. But in Japan, it's pretty high, especially juveniles, the kids that are coming. They're very like, I believe the, the, the future is very bright for Japan. Mm, for with, sure. With the upcoming guys, you know. Like, man, I used to compete every weekend in Japan with adults when I was 15, 14. And I would face Fat Ninja every weekend, <laughs> yeah. you know, Ninja every weekend. So I think the level is pretty high. It's there. so yeah. funny that you just said that because I was just thinking about when we interviewed Fat Ninja and he yeah. brought you up. And I was like, that's so fun. Like, I, I'm about to ask him about, about Igor. Igor's a goof, man. I love Igor. Yeah, we're really good friends but i think we've fought like 15 16 times already oh my god <laughs> it's a lot man <laughs> that's a lot of matches with your friend that would be that'd be stressful eventually he's, like, one of, he's actually one of my best friends you know and we've fought so many times <laughs> he's quite a bit bigger than you too uh, it'd be interesting i would love to go back and watch some of those early matches right now he's like 225 maybe yeah oh i know he's he's huge <laughs> and like He's a gigantic human being. And, oh, and he just had a uh, his baby's already born, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. right. Da- that's Daddy Ninja. He says he wants to be Fit Ninja now. He's not Fat Ninja anymore. He's Fit Ninja. Yeah, he he's always asking himself about like uh, working out and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say he's been watching you lift and he's getting yeah, jealous. Yeah, like man, I want to be a Fit Ninja, not a Fat Ninja. <laughs> Yeah, yeah exactly. when I, I fought him, um, and he he was heavyweight. I fought him in the open division, and I was like, man, you're not that much. Like I'm taller than you. Why are you? Like you're a lot heavier than me. And uh, we were just having, you know, me and him were already friends at that point. What's that? He has a big head. That's why <laughs> gigantic. And, uh, and man, I was like, man, uh, you're really like, do you cut for heavy? He's like, yeah, man, I have to cut a lot of weight for heavy. I'm like, why? Like you're shorter than me. And he's like, man, I just love food. It's the thing, yeah. is I, I love food. And I'm like, you can maybe just love food as much as you love working out, and you'll be good, you know? But Yeah, that's true. He's, he's funny. I, I love Igor. Uh, he, he is definitely one of the very important pieces in my journey in Japan, you know, because if I didn't have him competing there, maybe I wouldn't push myself that much. And, you know, I think we both helped each other. We're, we're rivals back in Japan, you know, competing almost every weekend against each other. But I think that helped a lot. Like it, it prepared us to to today, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. 
Yeah, I think that's so cool. Like you, you talked about competing against Igor that many times. I know I was uh, researching some of like your colored belt career too, and you've competed against Tynan Dalpra. You've competed against Jonathan, like you mentioned. Like who yeah. are some of the other big name guys that you competed I, against? Maybe at like blue and purple that are are names now. Roberto Dimenez, I competed against him. Uh, Talisson Suarez. I oh, I, yeah, I saw that. That was at the Brea Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, event. exactly. Yeah. I competed against Jonathan's Gracie as well. I lost that match. He killed me <laughs> back in the day. Uh, yeah, so many guys that today they're like top black belts or, you know, good guys. I competed against when I was juvenile or purple belt. It's really good to see those guys shining, you know. Yeah, I, I sure. competed and now he's living in Australia. He has his own, own academy, you know being very like accomplished off the mats and on the bats as well that's just very inspiring for me you know to look up and and be like i want i want i want to be just like him you know like it's very inspiring yeah it's cool i, I look back on people's results like top black belts now and just kind of see like who they came up competing against it's always so cool because a lot of the guys they've been fighting for years and you don't really realize it you start watching them at black belt and then you realize like oh he's fought this guy 10 times already for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah i fought i think i fought Hontonaldo eight times getting kind of sick of it uh <laughs> <laughs> kind, of, kind of over it i'm kind of over it i'm just joking Hontonaldo's always a fun fight but uh yeah like i remember i fought or um because i fought levi even you know levi jones yeah you'll, yeah you'll have to fight levi jones most likely because you're lightweight now but uh, he, uh, I fought him at Blue Belt Juvenile. It's crazy, like, just seeing, you know, how far back you go. Like, I told you, like, my buddy Connor, he's brown belt, and mm -hmm. uh, he just got promoted to brown belt. And, like, you fought him, and you don't even know who he is, but you fought him, <laughs> like, you fought him, like, three times. And, uh, and just seeing, like, I mean, at this point, the new generation of black belts, when I was blue belt, they were blue belt. Like, I, I was, I mean, I got promoted, like, a year before you did, so we're the same generation, in my opinion. Um... But seeing you like the rise of all these young competitors, isn't it kind of wild, Danny? Danny's actually 32 or 31. 30, sorry, 31. 31. Jake, don't age me. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to age you. He's 31. <laughs> so Danny was uh, like 24 when you were when you were born. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, no, like being able to see the the rise of young athletes has been very very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so you talked about like winning the the blue belt Europeans double gold and that being like a moment where you were like okay I can do this professionally I can do this for a living. Was there any tournaments after that where where you were like like obviously that was like the first seed that was planted in your head but was there any tournaments like maybe any of the world championships or any performances where you were like okay like I know for a fact now I'm going to be a black belt world champion. Man it's it's weird because I've always when I was juvenile especially I've always put a lot of pressure on myself. You know, nowadays it's a little bit different. I've learned, you know, what helps and what doesn't help me in the competition. But I remember when I was juvenile, like especially the first year, like competing in Europeans, like first year I won everything, like European, Spain, World Bro, Worlds. But I remember going to the tournament, like thinking like, if I want to be a black belt world champion, if I want to live off this, uh, there is no not not winning you know like a juvenile world like if you want to be a black belt world champ i gotta win this thing here you know and i've always had that mindset so i think 
since the European, the first like title I I, can, I earn, I think I've always had that mindset like I can do this. You know, I've always thought about man if I wanna, of course not always we win, but I've always thought about if I want if I wanna be a black belt world champion, if I wanna you know live off this and be very uh, accomplished on the mass. There is no not winning this tournament here, you know, like this bracket here or whatever is the the challenge the time, you know. Yeah, that's so cool to hear because I feel like that just that mindset is going to help the sport grow so much. You have kids who are really young who are already seeing the sport as their future profession. So it's not like they make this decision at black belt. They make this decision, like you said, at blue belt or sometimes even earlier. So I think that's just going to help the sport grow so much and help the level of the sport rise so, so fast. I think... Back in the day, like, Cobrinha is one of the examples, like, he started training it later, you know, and he he was still able to be very, like, he had to have success on the mat and off the mat, you know, later. Mm-hmm. But I think nowadays it's much difficult to do that, you know. Like, yeah. kids are training. I see kids 10 years old being in the beast, you know, like. If I compete against him when I was 10 back in the time with my jiu-jitsu and his jiu-jitsu right now, he would just murder me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> level. The sport's growing. It's the level is it it's going up, you know. I think nowadays the earlier you start, the more chance you have. And the later you start, the less chance you have, I believe. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you brought up Cobrinha because he was such like a big inspiration to me. Because I didn't start training. Like Jake said, I'm really old. I'm 31. I started training when I was 21. Really old. And uh, I think that's when Cobrinha started training too, was around that age. So I always used to look to him. But I think you're 100% right. Like nowadays, kids have to start training. The earlier they start training and competing, it's the better chance they're going to have of achieving their goals. Back in the day, they used to have Black Belt's World Champion that didn't train jiu-jitsu full-time. It was just a hobby. And they would win worlds, or they would work all day, train at night, and win worlds. But nowadays, you don't say that, you know. Of course, we have like maybe Mikey and Jamil that they were studying, you know, college, and they won worlds. That's one thing, you know. That's very, but they're, I would say, they're very special, you know. So yeah. it's, it's true out of, I don't know, hundreds of competitors that was able to do that. So. Definitely. And I think that's that's a huge accomplishment to be able to study and win worlds, but it's still a little bit different, I think, than working full time because you have a little bit more flexibility of your schedule. So, yeah, but you have yeah. to be training twice a day and doing all the stuff that you're doing, strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jake, go ahead. No, I was I was agreeing with you. Like, it's different than punching a time clock. Like, if you have to be at work, then you you seriously cannot you cannot do anything but work at that time, especially exactly. if you have to provide for like a family or something like that. Um, even coaching, I think like a lot of people who have been not forced, but, um, situations in their life have made them like, Oh, I got to open up a gym a little earlier than I want to. And then all of a sudden you're coaching and running a business at the same time as you're training. And that can take away a little bit. Like it it can make it a little bit more difficult to train. I'm not saying that that's like an end all be all reason why people might have a more difficult time winning a world championship, but it's definitely something that take into consideration. Like not everybody is like me where I live at the gym. Or I don't live at the gym. It's my room. This is not. I'm not. <laughs> um, but you get my point. Like I'm there all the time, and I'm strength and conditioning, and I'm doing a podcast. Like this is easy stuff compared to what I could be having to do. Let's say I had a child or something, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You had to work maybe eight hours and then train. You know, it's not the same thing than just 
living off jiu-jitsu, like being able to train four times a day if you want to. If, you, if you're capable of, I can't. My body doesn't recover that, that quick. Yeah. But, you know, like, it's, it's a completely different thing. For sure. So speaking of full-time competitors, you train probably at the gym with the most full-time athletes, or at least it's it's up there if it's not number one. So what was your first um, kind of impression of Andre Galval? Like when did you hear about his name and when did you become interested in training under him? Man, I've always known him. Like I said, uh, when I was maybe starting competing at Juvenile, you know, green belt, early in a blue belt, I've always been a huge fan of Marsh Andre, like I said. Mm-hmm. I've been very fan of JT and Dragovon, you know. Like, I remember going to YouTube and looking for new techniques. And they had the thing back in the day was Budo videos, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, with, like, the black and blue mats. And they were, like, teaching, like, Kisa, uh, they, it's very famous and Dragovon Sweep, Reverse La Riva, uh-huh. where he brings the guy over you and then, go backwards you know back roll <laughs> yeah and he has one of those videos you know teaching and since then i've always been a huge fan of his jiu-jitsu you know i've never met him person back in the time but i've always already been his fan with his jiu-jitsu you know and then when i had the opportunity to come to autos and actually meet him in person and actually know how he's off the mat i would say i became like 10 times more fan you know it's crazy, like, I used to be just, oh, dude, you know someone who has really good jiu and you just look up to? Yeah. That should be on Dragon for me. But now, as I started to, like, knowing more his person off the mat, he's just, if you ask me, hey, who is someone you you look up to and you want to be when you grow, I would say just like him, you know. He's a really good person off the mat with everyone, you know. Not just, not, not talking about jiu Putting Jits aside, he's a really good person. So mm. that's why I became even more fan of him, you know. And it's not like, you know, people usually, because it's their professor, they're like, oh, I look up to him, you know. No, it's it's not because he's my professor, you know. I've mm. had professors that I'm not going to say names or anything, but <laughs> that I don't look up to, you know. But mm. he's, def- he's definitely a person that I look up to. Yeah. You can tell a lot about somebody uh, by their generosity, I feel. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like he's built something really special. I know, obviously, you have that huge team of full-time competitors, but he also has a lot of people at his academy, I know, that don't compete. And he treats, it seems, from the outside looking in, I don't don't know him personally, but seems like he treats everyone exactly the same. Like, it doesn't matter if you're white belt first day or Lucas Barbosa. (laughs) Like, he looks at everyone the same. It is. I can I can confirm that. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's kind of what I meant by by uh, what I said. Um, he was so willing to help us and give us advice and like talk to us about things uh, mm-hmm. when we had him on. And every time I see him, he always asks me how I'm doing. And like I don't even know the guy, but he knows me kind of. So that's enough for him to be kind and generous towards me and be loving. <laughs> and I think that that kind of attitude is the most important part of coaching. You can teach, you can focus on teaching somebody to be a jujitsu athlete all you want, but the impact you'll have on a human being to be a better human being, I think is what Andre understands most about coaching is that he has a responsibility to lead others. And if like, let's say somebody wanted to quit jujitsu and, Oh man, I, I don't want to do jujitsu anymore. He's like, all right, well, I want you to be happy. So I hope that you've learned something here. For sure, he's just like that. He's very, he has a quality that 
he he knows how to keep people or students athletes his his athletes his students motivated you know like it's it's hard to maintain everyone motivated and you know like having that will to train let's say it's a friday you you've trained all week but he just finds a way to maybe bring a nice warm up you know before the class or just bring the energy a good energy before the class or he's always giving us a speech before and after training you know like motivating us and you know one thing is just to share jiu-jitsu technique you know another thing is being able to to do more than just teaching jiu-jitsu you know what i mean like yes. motivating yeah. everyone you know maybe maybe the person is struggling outside of the mat like personal problems you know and he's just able to come and talk and just you know keep your head up and stuff that's very important you know mm-hmm. yeah Did you want to talk oh go ahead sorry sorry that's why he has a very like successful team i believe oh yeah absolutely oh, yeah. I, I feel like his energy rubs off on the competitors and the people who represent him for sure mm. So you want to talk a little bit about what it's like training at Atos? Obviously, there's tons of high-level competitors there. Are there any guys in particular that you've kind of trained with the most or kind of gravitated towards on the mat? Or are you kind of just training with, with everyone there equally? Yeah, I train with I train with, ev- with everyone, you know, the light guys, the heavier guys. <laughs> I usually train with the heavier guys, but I do train with the lighter guys as well. And, and man, here is just... It's like Hogwarts, I would say. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, That's it's a great crazy. analogy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's so much knowledge, you know. Like, I've trained at many academies, especially, like, when you travel to compete and you get the opportunity to travel the world through jiu-jitsu, you get to train at many academies with many people, you know. And, man, I've never trained at somewhere like Atos. You know, it's just another level. Even the people that trains only for the hobby, you know, they come at my class and after work and they train maybe three times a week, four times a week, twice a week. Even then, their level is it's higher, I would say, you know, maybe not physically, but jujitsu wise, knowledge wise, they, they have more knowledge, I believe, you know, and the vibe in the academy there is really good. You know, it's not an academy that you go and everyone is quiet and. And you feel awkward to talk to people. You know, everyone is very friendly, and so much world, so many world champions there. You know, of course, we have Professor Indra that you know, Gin, Ogi, everything he has. Yeah. But like, we have our friends or our teammates that they're there, you know, training with you all week, and then they're going out there and winning worlds, worlds like being successful on the mats. That's just very inspiring for me because I'm like, they're doing the same thing I'm doing and they're being able to to go out there and just be the best. So I can do that as well. You know, it's just like a, a kind of mirror for me. And I can, I, I'm always inspired by my own teammates, you know, my professor, my teammates. That's one of the things that Atos has that it's very unique, I believe. Not every gym has someone that went out there at Black Belt Division and won everything. You know, but uh, with in Atos, we we have those examples. You know, not just one or two, but many. So that that helps a lot. I think. Definitely. It's kind of like a guidance. You know. 
Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was interesting too what you said going back to the beginning of your answer about you you mostly train with the heavier guys. So like yeah. obviously there's some absolute monsters who are heavier there like like I mentioned Lucas Barbosa, Kynan. Like are there any heavier guys in particular that are like really fun to train with for you? Man, I I like training with everyone there, but like Batista. Oh yeah, man. Lucas, uh, <laughs> professor, uh so many guys. Jonathan's Grace, he's not heavy, but he's very strong. He feels heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But honestly, man, everyone. Like, I try, even Rooster Weight, uh, bad boy, Lucas Piero. Oh, yeah, he's awesome. And he's crazy strong. <laughs> yeah. He's crazy. He has such a crazy pressure. It feels like, like middleweight, lightweight, you know. But he's a Dang. rooster. So, it's like Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, that's He's there. <laughs> Uh, oh wizards <laughs> Braguia beat me up uh that guy yeah he he uh every time someone brings up Braguia, i get a little bit of ptsd um that's a joke i don't get ptsd no but you're right about jonathan's i fought him at um at pan's nogi mm-hmm. and uh i think i made like a half a mistake and he beat and he and he passed my guard he's very 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 strong it's actually kind of weird it's like he's so light and it's deceiving oh. how strong he is but he works mm-hmm. very hard yeah, like honestly, it's because I don't know how strong the heavier guys is, you know, like Kainan. I know Kainan is really strong, but I don't actually know his strength because he he really knows how to train. I don't think he he really uses his strength. <laughs> again, you know, I'm just a lightweight. But like from my experience, I think I would say pound for pound is strength. Jonathan is really strong, you know, like. For his size and his weight, his strength is just—it's—it doesn't match. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't match. That's what I—that's what I felt too. Because I have—I have weight on him. I am heavier than him. Taller. He is way stronger than me. He is a like—it's not even close. I need to—I need to eat more. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about Atos. But yeah, but oh, yeah break, breaking is a really good training. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's not like. You feel his strength, you know. You feel technique, you know. Like yeah. he knows he uses his weight. He knows when to put pressure, and it's not just like, oh, this guy he's heavier than me. That's why he's beating me up. No, like not like everyone there that is heavier than you. They're not gonna beat you because they're strong. You know, they're very technical. You feel jiu-jitsu, you know. Whenever you make a mistake and they ca- and then they capitalize it, you you can realize right away. Whoa, too late. I made a mistake. I won't be able to recover this anymore. You know, that's the level, I think. Yeah, I love Kainan's jiu-jitsu. I love Braguinha's jiu-jitsu. They're so technical, like you said, even though they're big and strong. Mm-hmm. Very technical. Jake yeah, can- no. Jake, yeah, knows. <laughs> I, I do know. And the, that's one thing about fighting Braguinha that was like, I wasn't sitting there like, oh, I wish I was stronger. It was like, oh, man, everything is going wrong. <laughs> like, every, everything is not going in my favor right now. I put a collar. My, my plan was I'm going to circle around and I'm going to pull guard in a good position. But then Braguian did uh, the one thing I didn't think he was going to do, which is the referee said Kumbach, and he just stalked me down. He just run, ran, like walked at me really fast. And I was like, huh? So I pulled guard in not the best position. He shoved my foot in between his legs. And Braguian does this interesting thing. I fought Kainan too, but I fought Kainan at a purple belt. Um, so I haven't fought Kainan at brown belt or black belt. When I fought Kainan at purple belt, he, I think he played a tiny bit differently. He was more lapel-centric. 
but Braguina shoved my foot between, and he does this thing where he can like dislocate his hips, pinch his knees, and go down <laughs> to the ground and still be in good balance. And I uh, was very confused because that has never happened to me. And then he he gently karagatamed me, just very gently uh, introduced me to a choke. And I was like, <laughs> wow, that was a wake up call. I need to focus on my strength conditioning. I need to drill. I need to get. Uh, I need to compete more because Pans was. I, I mean, I lost to Mateus Luna in the quarterfinal, but that match was a learning lesson. My match with Gustavo Batista like taught me so much because I was like, "Wow, there's levels to this," and I am not there yet. Uh, he's Batista. He's very technical. Mm-hmm. Very, 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 very technical. It's one of the guys that when he's here, I train a lot with. You know, we we used to, when he was here, we used to drill a lot between me and him, and I've learned a lot from him. Yeah, when I was watching some of your pants matches earlier today, I noticed you use some of the similar passing concepts that he does. Like he always reaches over the top and grabs the belt, kind of like mm-hmm. forcing the half guard position. I've seen, I saw you do that quite a bit at pants. It's really cool. I didn't even, it didn't really click with me until just now, saying that you yeah. trained and drilled with him a lot. Over the leg, pinching your knees together, being low, and all. I've learned watching him and also training with him, you know. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm always trying to learn something new from from my teammates or professor, you know, even outside, I see someone doing something really cool. I try to add on my game, you know, if it, if it fits, perfect. If it not, I try, you know, Definitely. I'm always open-minded to learn new, new stuff. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into my next question because everyone knows about the level of the competitors at Atos, but mm-hmm. everyone everyone at Atos who's a really good competitor is also a really good teacher. They have sure. tons of YouTube videos. Um, I know you have a bunch that are really, really good. So do you want to talk about uh, a little bit about teaching, like kind of when you first started doing it at Atos and what your plans are for teaching in the future? So I started teaching classes back in Japan when I was still uh, maybe green belt, blue belt. Of course, over there, the level is not like Atos, you know, <laughs> I could teach some, some stuff, you know, that was useful back in the day, <laughs> but that's, that's how everything started. Like, I don't feel awkward teaching nowadays because I've been teaching classes since I'm like blue belt, you know, like private classes, seminars and stuff. So I think that helped a lot of my teaching skill. I'm not going to say, you know, well, my teaching skill is is the peak because I can improve a lot more, I believe, you know. I don't want to be just an athlete that it's really good on the mat competing, but when it comes to teaching and sharing his knowledge, he's not as good as he's competing, you know. I, I definitely don't want to be that guy. Uh, I feel like in order to be really good and, and, su- and have success on the mat, you got to be able to share your knowledge, you know. You got to be able to make to explain difficult things in an easy way that ev- everyone can do it, you know. So, and, and over at Atos HQ, we have a lot of people who is example of that, you know, like we have good teaching there, there teachers, professors that they teach really well, like Andre is one of them. Uh, Dominic Bell, he teaches really well, really, yeah. really well, you know. So even when I'm just training, he, uh, training and like watching the technique, I can learn a lot from, I, I learn the technique and as well how they're teaching the technique, you know, the mm-hmm. teaching. So that helps a lot. And I started over at Atos HQ. I don't teach classes, like I don't have my own group, but very often I teach classes, I cover classes, you know, 
and I'm just very grateful to have the opportunity, you know, to work on my teaching skill. And it's it's like it's like you're very like you love technology and stuff, iPhone and stuff, you know, smartphone, whatever, and you have a chance to work at Apple. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Hundred yeah. percent. That that's how I feel when I'm able to like teach at Atos. Like it it's a very good opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. For sure. You're, you're being humble because the videos that I've watched of you teaching, you teach really, really well. So I would encourage everyone to go on YouTube and yeah. just type in Andy's name. You'll find – I think it's on the Atos YouTube channel. Um, yeah. He teaches uh, a couple sweeps from Daily Heva. One that I watched going into a single leg was really, really good. Your side smash pass was mm-hmm. awesome. Super good detail on that. So definitely check those out, and you can you can see that Andy's being humble and <laughs> how good of a teacher he is. <laughs> Thank you. I, I've always tried. I've, I never think I'm good or anything because I feel like whenever you think like that, maybe you stop, you know, trying to learn new new thing, improving. Yeah. You know? so I'm always looking to improve in mm-hmm. aspect of life. Well, an interesting thing about your teaching ability could be, I mean, you're you're fluent in Portuguese, Japanese, and now you have good English, right? You think so? Sometimes my I English, think your English is pretty good, man. Your English I mean, is really You asked really how good. to say priority. I know people who are born here who don't know that word exists. So <laughs> good job. I'm telling you, you're doing good. And the thing yeah. is, this attitude you have about, uh, I don't want to think I'm good because then I'll get comfortable. You can mm. take that approach in everything, then you're going to have great English. Um, yeah. So you can teach in English, uh, Brazilian Portuguese, and yeah. Japanese. That's a huge, like, being trilingual as a teacher bodes more benefits then I think a lot of people realize. What if you just go to Japan and like, okay, now I don't have to worry about having a translator. I can just speak Japanese. And yeah, yeah when I, if I go to Japan, I'm gonna need a translator. You know? For sure. Yeah, that's one of the I don't know, maybe good thing of being born in Japan. And and I've I studied I believe three four years in Japanese school, so I learned Japanese. It's not fluent, you know. I don't speak like a Japanese. And especially now that it's been maybe five years that I left Japan to move to U.S., but I st- I can still talk in Japanese. I can still you know have a normal conversation in Japanese. I can go to Japan, you know, just be my- by myself, get subways, and you know just leave. I'm not gonna die. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I can teach classes in Japanese. You know, of course it's not gonna be like a class that I'm teaching Portuguese, but mm-hmm. I can teach some something useful. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, hopefully, uh, I'd, I'd love to see you do a Jiu-Jitsu X or BJF Fanatics instructional. That would be really cool. Maybe yeah. on Underhook De La Hiva. I know you've taught that position before. That's yeah. I, I'm, I might, I might film something with BJF Fanatics. Maybe Underhook De La Hiva or something. It's just like you need to. I, if I do something, I want to do it really well. So mm-hmm. you need to take notes and stuff. It takes time, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does. So we've taken almost an hour of your time. We're super appreciative of you coming on. Jake, is there any other other questions you have for Andy? There's none. Uh, well, actually, there is. There is. Let's, let's let's cycle this all the way back. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, you can catch Andy Murasaki making his black belt debut on April 3rd for EUG Promotions. But let's take EUG Promotions out of the equation. Mm-hmm. There are only seven other competitors in this mm-hmm. bracket that you have the possibility of fighting. Outside this tournament, what's a match, now that you're at black belt, what's a match you want to have? Who do you want to fight? at black belt like that you look up to outside of this bracket oh man i know i don't i don't want to be disrespectful or anything mm-hmm. you know uh but it would be an honor for me to compete against lucas lapry if i had an opportunity you know 
uh, for me, he's the best lightweight that we had so far. You know, man, he goes there and wins six world titles, and the last two nobody scored points on him. You know, so he's a very he's definitely someone I look up to at lightweight division, and it would be an honor for me to compete against him one day, mm-hmm. if he doesn't retire before. You know. Uh, he's one of the guys that I wanted to compete before he retires or, you know, if I had a chance, I would like to fight against him. Uh, I think Levi would be someone I would like to compete as well. And it will happen for sure, I believe. Yeah. I believe it will happen sometime. Uh, Levi, Lepre. Yeah, I think. Yeah, those, those two guys, names. And, and those guys in the bracket, Jonathan Alves, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was my last question. And I, I like those answers, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. We can't wait to watch that. And we know you're going to have a lot of success at Black Belt. So thanks again for coming on. And we can't wait to, uh, to hopefully meet you in person at the UG event where we'll be. So that'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. It's six weeks. Starting tomorrow, we have six weeks. Yeah. Heck, yeah. Cool. <laughs> no, and you're going you're gonna to hear my voice when you play back. When you play back your matches, you're going to hear this voice right here <laughs> telling you. All right. But Thank ladies you. and gentlemen, uh, this has been episode 82 of the Open Guard Cast. Uh, you can use our discount code OpenGuardCast25 for electric performance to get. I mean, this guy eats uh, acai after he lifts. Um, <laughs> if you want more advice on low-carb desserts or actually high-carb, low-fat desserts so yeah, that you can look I- chiseled <laughs> like a Japanese-Brazilian-Greek god. Then you uh, consult Andy Murasaki, first of all. Second of all, consult Election Performance and the guys down there. They have a new Jiu-Jitsu X instructional out as well. Um, please be sure to follow Andy Murasaki at Andy Murasaki, all lowercase, no spaces, correct? Yes. Look at that. You see that? My memory. That's like a steel trap up here, this brain. Um, but yeah, use our discount code OpenGarkus25, 25% off. We want to thank our other sponsors, Showfit Cryo, High Tier Photography, Agro Brand, Eddie Welch. I always say agro brand Eddie Welch because, you know, we just want people to understand the name, put some respect on it. Uh, Maracaba BJJ, Marcio Andre Academy, and we want to thank everybody who loves and supports this podcast. And for those of you guys who leave reviews, can't wait for UG promotions coming up soon. And uh, Danny, if so that Danny, is – before I uh, sign us out, do you have any sponsors or friends you want to thank? True. Me? Yes. Oh, not really. I just want to thank you guys for having me, you know, taking your time on a Sunday morning. You guys could be with family, you know, friends or anything. But you guys are having me here in your podcast. So I just want to thank you guys. And I hope to see you guys at UEG event. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely be there. see you there. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to Andy. And this is episode 82, like Jake mentioned. Follow Andy on Instagram. And, yeah, we will see you guys for the next episode. Yeah, thank you guys. Take care.